right, guys, welcome to uh, episode two of uh, the Modern Day Sniper. It's uh, Phil here, and um, we've got obviously Kalen on the line. Hey, Kalen, how you doing? What's up, guys? What's going on? Hope everybody had a great New Year's, good holiday season, and uh, getting ready to kick off 2020. Yeah, so um, our first episode, we talked about kind of uh, the, the what and why of Modern Day Sniper. Um, so, you know, this, this podcast, we wanted to, you know, kind of dedicate to uh, understanding who um, is Modern Day Sniper. Uh, you know, but again, before we kind of get into uh, who is Modern Day Sniper, one thing that Kalen and I wanted to always reiterate is, you know, um, we want to make sure that Modern Day Sniper isn't just a culmination of, oh, that's Kalen and Phil's brand. You know, I, I think um, eventually as Modern Day Sniper starts to grow, it's um, it's a collective of individuals with the same mindset of, hey, I understand my roots. Um, you know, I understand where I came from. It has allowed me to um, grow right into obviously a more uh, capable and efficient uh, sniper uh, in, in terms of uh, mindset, right? Not just sticking to, oh, this is what I was taught and, you know, running on doctrine that was built or, you know, built in the 60s. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to understand that. And, you know, it's uh, learning through throughout the, the years of being in the firearms industry and seeing and seeing companies that um, associate a face, an individual person with a brand can be a, uh, that can be a pitfall, right? The brand has to stand on its own two feet and modern day sniper is going to stand on its own two feet. And what, what the goal of building modern day sniper is exactly what you said, Phil, it's a collective. It's almost like a co-op, so to speak. Um, and we're not going to, 100% let the cat out of the bag in terms of like what what our eventual goals are um, but yeah it'd be a pretty good pretty good assumption or synopsis to say you know this is going to be a collective it's going to be kind of like a co-op yeah so give, a, give an example you know if, if you're listening and, and you're an active duty sniper but you haven't rested on the fact that okay you've got your schools done you know you got basic school done you've got advanced mountain urban you're actively competing and continue to hone your craft, you're a modern day sniper. You are uh, sharing the same values that Kalen and I have with this sport uh, uh, and, and, this, and, this, and this craft of just trying to uh, better yourself and understanding that you're always a student, you know? Um, so there's, there's a handful of, uh, you know, snipers out there um, that I would consider, you know, modern day snipers because you know, they're continuing to push the envelope and stuff like that. Um, so, yep. So as we go through this, you know, we wanted to let you guys know, um, that, you know, what modern day sniper was, you know, a general kind of 30,000 foot view of, of what it, what we're trying to accomplish with it. And now we want to tell you guys a little bit about who we are and, and where, where we're coming from. Um, and uh, I think it's I think it's a good thing for for people to know that because a part of that um, 
part of your trust and your confidence in that brand is knowing who's behind it um, and, and knowing who's the driving factor there. And, and really to, truly too, like whether or not, where is the intention? Is the intention pure? Is the intention real? Um, and, and in order for you to know that you got to get to know us. Uh, and, and who we are and what we stand for, what we believe in and um, what we're what we're willing to stand and speak about uh, with regard to, to what's uh, what's true, what's factual and what's not. So um, I think, uh, Phil, you, you said you wanted to you wanted to ask me the questions first this time. And then the next episode, I'll ask you the questions and we'll kind of we'll, we'll just take it uh, ep- uh, episode by episode, because um, I think it's probably so because it's you know there's a lot to talk about when it comes to that stuff yeah so Kalen's in the hot seat today um and you know i'm i'm pretty much just gonna figure out who who Kalen mojic is you know from oh from shit from uh from finish you know kind of kind of everything that led to uh you know you joining uh, the marine corps to um, you know, obviously lead your, your sniper path, uh, your experiences as a, uh, not only as a, a scout sniper in the Marine Corps, but also become an, an instructor. And then, you know, um, everything that happened from your transition outside of the Marine Corps into, you know, what, um, who Kalen Wojcik is now, uh, you know, post Marine Corps separation. And, you know, uh, you've been in the industry 10 years now uh yep mm-hmm. yep uh you know uh and you know now that you've been in the industry for 10 years right um because i'm still a baby in the industry it's like you know how you've kind of evolved yourself uh with the you know uh, with your mindset and and uh and stuff like that so, sure man um let's do it so um let's let's start from the beginning uh you grew up in new york right i think that's yeah so yes. i grew up in western New York in a tiny little town um, called Youngstown uh, just north of Niagara Falls and if you could you know, if you want to put it on a map it's literally at the confluence of the Niagara River and Lake Ontario right at that very point there um, I grew up with is like a really really small town 1200 people um, uh, I couldn't get away with anything because my old man owned the, uh, the most popular bar in the County. And so, you know, everybody knew me, everybody knew my dad everybody knew my family and that business or that, that, uh, that watering hole had been, uh, my dad was third generation that, that owned it. So it's like, you know, the family name was pretty well established in, in, uh, in the area. Um, I, I grew up, um, I grew up hunting and fishing. Um, however, it didn't run in my family, which a lot of people look at as kind of like, well, that's kind of weird. Um, my, my dad did not hunt. Um, and believe it or not, my mom used to be, uh, my mom used to be, uh, an environmental activist. (laughs) So, um, she's since, she's since changed her ways, not in the most, not in the negative aspect of that, but, um, you know, as we grow in age and we start to see things, um, in a different light, uh, obviously that's going to change your perception of things. And I remember being about the age of 10 or so, I started to read a lot. I started to read a lot of books. I was a pretty voracious reader and obviously we didn't have technology then, right? It was just, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. Um, and other than that, 
it was like, Hey, get your ass outside and you go play and you don't, you're not coming back in until the street lights come on type thing. Um, so I enjoyed reading and you know, my mom worked all the time. My dad was working all the time. He worked obviously the bar shift. So, um, I pretty much didn't see my, my, my parents a whole lot. And, and that's not a, that's not a super bad thing, so to say, but I was kind of left on my own in terms of trying to figure out like what my likes and dislikes were. So I read a lot of books in the military. And the reason I read a lot of books in the military is, um, my grandfather on my dad's side was, uh, a paratrooper with the 82nd airborne division and participated in, uh, in D-Day. Um, he, uh, he has, or he, he had two purple hearts and literally went from, um, D day all the way to VE day with the 82nd. And, um, my great uncle fought as a Marine in, in, uh, in the Pacific theater. And, um, my mom's father was a combat engineer with the army in Korea. And my dad's two of my dad's brothers were Marines. One was, uh, 20 years and the other one was, you know, he did four years as a, as an avionics guy. So the military had a long, you know, had a lot of, uh, a lot of influence on me just because the way that my grandfather's values were, um, you know, both of my grandfathers were my heroes. So, um, and then my uncle, you know, was, was one of my heroes too, like coming home, like he would come home on leave in his uniform and I'd just be like, well, that's holy shit. That's cool. Um, because I had read about the legacy of all of, of all of these warriors that had, that had gone before us. And, um, I wanted to do that. Um, I wanted to be a part of that and, uh, and kind of like, and chase after that. I didn't know that I wanted to be a sniper. Um, but the hunting and fishing stuff basically led me to, um, like I didn't really have any mentorship in my life with regard to that because my family didn't do it, participate in it. And I got my, I got my first BB gun when I was 11. And I remember, I remember, um, you know, my mother not really having a clue what to do. She was so stressed out. She was like, I don't know what to do with this kid. Like he's got, he wants a freaking gun. Like, holy shit, what is this? I don't know what to do with this. So, um, I got a BB gun and I started shooting birds and squirrels in the backyard and, and she was just totally freaked out by it. So and she went to this, uh, to a guy in town, a, a younger, a younger guy. Uh, he was probably about 24, 25 at the time. And he owned a gas station in town. Um, and he was recognized as one of the more proficient deer hunters and, and hunters in general, general in town. He did a lot of trapping as well. His name was Bill Joseph. And, um, my mom approached Bill Joseph and said, uh, Hey, I, I remember it clear as day. Like sh she drove up to the gas station while I was still in the back seat and um, he was sitting out on one of the coolers uh, just waiting for somebody to drive up so he could pump their gas and and I, I remember like my mom's animated hand movements and I remember thinking to myself what is she doing like what is she doing to me right now <laughs> and, um, she basically said will you please take my kid hunting and teach him something because if you don't do it like he's probably going to shoot himself or shoot somebody else. Um, 
you know, obviously, you know, with the utmost level of sarcasm, perhaps there was some seriousness there. I don't know. Um, but, uh, Bill took me hunting and now I look back on that as, uh, you know, as a now turning 40, looking at it from, you know, the perspective of a 25 year old looking at a 12 year old going, Whoa, okay. What, like he didn't have kids at the time. Um, so that's a big responsibility. You, You know what I mean? Like I look back on that now and that's part of why I think why, like I view mentorship the way that I view it because mentorship is powerful. Um, and Bill basically took me under his wing and he taught me everything that he knew or, or tried to teach me everything that he knew, but he also did it in a way that was very hard. He was not easy on me. And, um, at the time I didn't care because I just wanted it so bad. Like, holy shit, I'm going to, I get to go hunting. Like, uh, yeah, I'll do anything you want. Like, what do you, what do you, what do I need to do? Uh, I'm not going to miss out on this opportunity. And he told me one day, he said, or what the first time he said, Hey, I'm going to come by your house at five 30 in the morning. If you are not standing on the front porch at five 30, I'm not even going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. And I was like, okay, you know, I didn't know really under, understood, understood like what that meant at the time being 12 years old. But, um, it happened one day I wasn't out there at five 30 and I waited out there for about 15, 20 minutes, freezing my ass off before I realized, yeah, I fucked up and I missed the boat. And, um, I walked down to the gas station at, at, during the afternoon and he's like, I told you, I told you if you weren't there at five 30, I wasn't even going to stop. He goes, you know, I'm not messing around. Right. And I said, yeah, now I know you're not messing around. And that was, that was, that was our relationship. Um, and so I think that definitely prepared me for the severity of the future and choosing the military, because I do, I do distinctly remember going to recruit training, just being like, man, man, this is no, no fucking, this is no big deal. I get, I got yelled at all the time. (laughs) So like you just, it's really simple. You just do what you're asked to do and you're not going to get yelled at or messed with. And so that's how I, that's how I grew up throughout my teenage years. And, um, uh, I took a deeper interest in precision shooting or long range shooting when I started to read more books on being a sniper. And, um, like I said, man, I read everything. I read, uh, Carlos Hathcock books or uh, Carlos Hathcock's book at, uh, like 15 years old, 14 or 15 years old, um, read every book on sniping that I could possibly get my hands on. And, um, that at led that, me to at that point, at that point, did you already know that you wanted to be a Marine? I was wrestling with whether I wanted to be a Marine or whether I wanted to be, uh, an army paratrooper, right? Cause I wanted to follow my grandfather's footsteps because that was rad. Um, I always wanted to jump out of airplanes, um, but uh, I didn't start that until way, way later on in my life. Um, and I didn't do it in the military. I did it. For, I started doing it for fun. Um, but ultimately, what what sealed the deal for me to choose the uh, the, the the Marine Corps over the Army was um, really the Army recruiter just pissed me off. He was he was kind of a jackass, and he just was so so pushy. Um, yeah, I remember I had a girlfriend over at the house and, and, uh, he, he knocked on the door and I was like, you know what, dude, this, that's it done. Like 
um, my decision is made. You're, you're interrupting me when, when I don't want to be interrupted. <laughs> so I just nice. decided to join, I decided to join the Marine Corps. Um, so yeah, that's how that went down. The more you, the more and more you sort of read Carlos Hathcock books and stuff like that. Is that when you, you decided, okay, like, you know, when I joined the Marine Corps, like, because obviously you didn't know how the how to get into the sniper community. Yeah. You just knew that once you became a Marine, that you know being a scout sniper was definitely going to be mm-hmm. one of the things you pursued. Yeah. So, well, the, re, the what pushed me down that path is after I read after I read a lot of those books, um, I, I started to say, well, I'm going to start doing this on my own, um, and 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 teach myself. So I bought my very I bought my first centerfire rifle when I was 15. Yeah, I bought it when I was 15, and like you know, my parents again, like I said, man, like I did this all on my own. I didn't have anybody there to help me. Um, I made my own money. I bought that rifle. It was a Remington 700 30 ADL, and I put a uh, I put a Tasco rifle scope on it, which happened to be the heat at that point in time. And oh man, that was right. That was uh, 1989. Um, that was 1994. So you know, that was the heat at that point in time. And um, I took that rifle. I bought a reloading kit. I bought an RCBS Rock Chucker reloading kit with dies for 30 odd six and a reloading handbook. And I started making my own ammo. And um, I would shoot in an apple orchard. Um, and I would shoot at, a, at pie plates on an apple bin. And if I could hit those things at 200, I'd move back to 300. And then if I could hit them consistently at 300, and before long, I was out to 1,000. And I was shooting out to a thousand yards by the time I was 15 years old, and I was ta- I taught myself how to do it. Uh, there was like I didn't have the information age, right? We didn't have the internet. It was straight up books and trial and error. Um, and so that's how that's how I got started in the game. And I didn't know the only thing that I knew about the path to becoming a Marine Scout sniper was that I had to join the infantry, um, because I'm sure you know now that resources about like trying to figure out how to get to that point very limited you know basically it's like hey you want to be a sniper well you gotta join the you gotta join the infantry first it's not like you could just get on an internet forum and say hey guys you know i'm kalen wojic and i want to learn how to be a sniper what do i got to do yeah it was a lot of it was chance and a lot of it was was like all right well let's just do this and i enlisted in the marine corps and at the age of 17 and uh Got an O three O three infantry contract and was like, all right, man, this is what I'm gonna do. Are you um, are you an eleven by trade? I'm an O three fifty one assaultman by trade. Okay, so um, you know, you went through boot camp. Uh, you went through SOI Paris Island. I'm assuming. Yeah, I went to Paris Island for uh, recruit training, and um, I went to uh, Camp Lejeune for a school of infantry. Okay, uh, and this was ninety seven. Yep, 1997. Okay, what, what was what was going on uh, on around that time? Uh, are we still were peacetime Marine Corps? It was pretty much peacetime Marine Corps. Um, we had uh, Bosnia happening around yeah, that time right. frame, but it was pretty isolated. Um, very similar to kind of like what we got going on now over in the Middle East, like a little skirmishes here and there. Yeah. Yeah. A few units got to participate. I, you know, I remember my one of my actually my platoon sergeant, um, who was an instructor at cyber school, uh, uh, 
he's a mass art now mass art sullivan he was uh, a part of the the bosnia um events and yeah you know that was the kind of first kind of stories uh stories that he would tell as a sniper yeah uh, yeah and I, okay i would also be remiss if i didn't state that you know i watched the persian gulf war kick off when i was in sixth grade so obviously that was all over the news and that was again one of those things that i that was reinforced uh like uh yeah that's what that's what caitlin's gonna do right there yeah. and and it's funny too because a lot of people ask now they're like well why did you join the marine corps did you join the marine corps because you loved your country and did you, you were a patriot and and it's like i think there's this delusion with the common public um and of course everybody joins for their own reasons everybody makes those choices for their own reasons but i didn't join the marine corps because i wanted to you know obviously you read about that in books and you read about people talking about i you know doing it for the you know the love of country and dude when you're 17 you don't know anything about that I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care. Like you can call me up on the phone after you hear this podcast. And if you want to talk about it, that's fine. But you really don't know anything at 17 years old as a, as a male, your frontal lobe does not continue, does not finish developing until you're 25. I joined the Marine Corps because I wanted to do rad shit and I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it and and chase something that was literally to my knowledge at that point in time was the hardest thing that i could possibly do i didn't have any desire to go be a seal i had no desire to go be a ranger like being a sniper because i was a hunter and i loved to sneak around in the woods i loved to get dirty i loved to test my metal against a, a critter that was in its own environment you know what i'm saying it was like there's just something about it man there's something about being a sniper that for me trumped everything else like i didn't really care about the seals i didn't care about that and everybody they could argue well the seals are the most you know that's the hardest thing ever and i'm like oh i don't know man i dropped a couple seals from sniper school so <laughs> like um it's just all your perception and what it is that you want to do yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about when I joined the Marine Corps, and like you said, I, I wanted to, to, to see what I was capable of, you know, um, and you know, I was a, a first generation Marine. You know, my, my parents had my, um, immigrated from uh, the Philippines um, in the '70s, so no one, um, you know, in my family had served. Uh, my dad was in the army for a little bit, but he got kicked out. Um, but, uh, you know, no one in my family had served as a, as a Marine and my sister had just joined the Navy. So, you know, I, you know, I couldn't sit here and tell you that, um, before I joined the Marine Corps, I was a super patriotic dude that, you know, wore red, white, and blue to school every day and stuff like that. Um, you know, now that my service is over, oh, absolutely. You know, I'm, um, all about you know i'm super blessed to be a part of this nation after traveling and seeing all the uh, different countries and stuff like that and what america has to offer us as americans but you know um yeah you, you're absolutely right on that it, you know and and i would say there are some uh 
some Marines that join because it's just a family, you know. Of course. Um, it's a, it's a, it's one of those things that they're like fourth or fifth generation Marine, and it's mm-hmm. just one of those like it's going to happen. Right. And then, like you said, there's a lot of people that join for other reasons. Like some people, like it's either they go to jail or they join the Marine Corps. Uh, yeah, I got a story about a dude, a very prolific, um, well-known Marine sniper that had the exact same situation. Um, but that's probably a story for another time, but yeah. I think that's really, I think that's definitely something to be spoken of because, um, you know, if, especially if you're like fourth or fifth generation, those are like, that's dinner table talk, you know, that's, um, you know, about how important it is to, you know, to be a patriot or it's, it's how important it is to give back to your country. Um, and if those conversations, you're a product of your environment, you know, like, and that will continue to be solidified in your, in your mind and in your, in your personality, the older you get is that you come to understand you truly are a product of your environment. And if that is the environment that you're in, in a consistent basis, then yeah, you might at the age of 18 or 17, you might, very well join the Marine Corps or join the army or whatever other armed service and say, I'm doing it because I want to do this for my country. Um, and, and that's, that's obviously fine, but you're a product of your environment in the sense that like, I didn't have those conversations at the dinner table when I was a kid, you know, um, it, it was more along the lines of, I was proving something to myself and, you know, I had kind of a rough time in school. Um, I didn't fit in. I was different. And uh, I didn't play sports. Um, sports didn't interest me. I was more um, I'm, I was more competitive with myself than anything else. Um, and like I, I, uh, I started to swim in high school, which uh, in like this in the seventh grade. And that ended up being something I was really good at. And I loved it because I was in my own head, you know, it's not a, you know, you're in your own head, you're, you're swimming your own race and it's incredibly difficult. It's a super, it's a super physically challenging sport. And it's also a very mentally challenging sport, especially if you're a distance swimmer. So, you know, I also learned a lot of that mental toughness from that aspect of it, along with the, uh, the verbal lashings that I was getting from my mentor for, for, uh, you know, for making mistakes or, or doing whatever. Um, but that obviously that shaped me into, into the human being that I am today. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I joined, I joined, I joined the Marine Corps and wanted to chase after being a sniper because it was hard. Number one, I wanted to prove something to myself that I could do it. And, um, I wanted to do cool stuff. After you went through SOI, um, obviously you went to, uh, or so you went to boot camp. Uh, how, how was your boot camp experience? If you, if you could, if you could sum it up. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people talk about recruit training as being a, as being like a huge culture shock. And for me, it wasn't that much. Like, I think I was pretty mentally prepared for it. Um, from the standpoint of, I had read so many books about it. I had heard so many other people's perspectives about it and through living the life of, um, you know, like, uh, um, like as an example, like one day I was, I was sitting in a tree stand and, um, 
freezing my ass off. It was like November 1st. It was like, I think it was like second day of, of gun season in New York. And uh, anybody that's lived in that area of the nation knows that it is cold. It's just a different type of cold. And we sat in tree stands. Like we were hunting with shotguns. I was hunting with a shotgun and a slug. And I just got so cold, I couldn't even like, I felt like I couldn't move. So I climbed out of my tree stand, I went back to camp, I started a fire and I started to get myself warm. There's like three, four feet of snow on the ground. And um, I heard some some thud, thud, thud coming up the stairs. And I remember thinking to myself, oh shit. And it was like, I still envision it now to this day. It probably didn't happen like this, but this is just the way my mind envisions it. It was like the door got kicked open and Bill was standing in the doorway and he looks at me and he's like, Kalen, he goes, did you shoot a deer yet? And I was like, no, I haven't shot a deer yet. He goes, do you want to shoot a deer? And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, I want to shoot a deer. I'm just like that teenager shaking his head. Yes. Or shaking his head. No. And he goes, do you think you're going to shoot a deer while you're in the fucking cabin? <laughs> and I was like, uh, no. And he goes, well, get out there and go sit in your tree stand so that way you can shoot a deer and obviously there was a lot more obscenities um but uh i quickly packed my shit and ran out the cabin you know i didn't want to disappoint him i didn't want to disappoint him and he was teaching me valuable lessons and so going into recruit training it, it wasn't a big deal you know what i mean it wasn't a big deal like it really simple you do what you're told to do and you you move as fast as you can possibly move you scream as loud as you possibly can and you work to not be the dude that gets singled out and that's exactly the way that i was raised in that mentorship and so boot camp was pretty simple for me it was like it was like okay cool and i was looking forward to it i was like oh cool when do we go get to when do we get to go to the obstacle course i want to do the obstacle course oh cool when do we get to go to the rifle range i want to do that shit um you know, I was a company high shooter at the, you know, in the rifle range and it just came super easy. It was like super easy. Um, I just remember, you know, my, my PMI giving us all the marksmanship classes during grass week. And, um, I was like, okay, cool. All I got to do is site alignment, site picture, breathe in, out, press. All right. Yeah, this is no problem. This is easy. And you, you just apply those fundamentals and the bullets go where you want them to go. And that's it. And I looked at it as like, uh, I looked at, uh, I looked at the rifle range as like a break. It was like, sweet. I get to do nothing but shoot. Cool. Um, and once that was all said and done, I had a drill instructor from another platoon approach me and said, Hey, he goes, you're the company high shooter. He goes, you ever think about being, you ever think about being a sniper? Or no, I'm sorry. He asked me, he asked me what my MOS was. And I said, um, I'm, I'm an O3 contract. And he goes, you ever think about going to a staple tune? And I remember in my brain just going, holy shit. Like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, this is what I was looking for. And yeah. I, you know, and he was, and he was like, um, he was an older drill instructor, kind of, a, kind of mellow. And, um, I said, yes, but I don't know how to pursue that path. And he, he was like, look, you get to your infantry battalion and you go find your staple tune and you go talk to the guys at the staple tune. You find out when selection is and you go take selection. That's that simple. And I was like, okay, yes, sir. Right. Roger that. And that was what I did. Nice. So, I mean, even at boot camp you know the the seed was planted from oh yeah obviously obviously someone that knew 
Right. Um, and it's, it's so crazy hearing your story. Cause you know, obviously when I start talking about, um, who I am tomorrow, I mean, we're, I want to say we're complete polar uh, opposites, but you know, um, you started at a very young age of uh, your aspirations to be a sniper and essentially fill your calling as as where I, you know, I wasn't in, I wasn't until actually in the Marine Corps that you know um, I figured out what my calling was. So it's it's pretty cool to hear you know that uh, you know that part of uh, that part of your life and kind of you know what shaped you know Kalen being you know, Kalen now. So, um, so let's talk about, you know, after SOY, you get to a unit. Now, are you a stay baby by trade? Uh, and for guys uh, that don't know, stay stands for, um, uh, surveillance and target acquisition. And that was the name of uh, scout sniper platoons in the, uh, I know it was in the nineties and even before that, um, it wasn't until like the early two thousands when we made the switch to stay platoons to scout sniper platoons. Kaylee, you could probably give yep. a better history on that. Yeah, so um, when I came when I came in, it was uh, it was it was a transitionary phase. Um, there were some platoons that were called state platoons, and then there were some platoons that were just scout sniper platoons. So um, we can get into the history of that. Like, I think we probably get into the history. That might actually be a really cool podcast episode too to talk about the history of of marine sniping. Um, yeah. and dispel all of the freaking nonsense rumors that are floating around out there. Yeah. Um, so I was not a stay baby. I came to, I came to second battalion first Marine regiment and, um, I, uh, I went to a counter mechanized platoon. I went to a weapons company and, um, uh, I, when you, when you get, to that point and you know obviously you got your you know your quote unquote senior lance corporals which now is just like a fucking joke but um you know those guys you think about it from that perspective there's just kids trying to lead other kids and so i remember going to, it's true it's the truth right it's so let's just take it for what it is and you're all just trying to figure it out I, wait, are you just saying that now because you're you know you're Two generations older. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, well, from, 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 from no, no, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely correct. You know, it, it's kid leading kids. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, when you're when you're there, the moment. Oh no! You know, yeah, like yeah, no. One hundred percent. Like my senior lance corporal is, he's God, God. right? Yep. And if you uh, saw I wouldn't say God, right? Your squad, your 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 squad, your you know your your usually your your NCO, your sergeant or whatever squad leader, you know he's God, right? And then yep. you know the Lance Corporal is doing God's work. <laughs> yeah, he's doing God's work, which is murdering you behind the squad. Leader. Um, yeah, it, because and only, the only reason he's murdering you behind the squad bay is because that's what was done to him, and you know, and that's all he knows, and that's fine, that's okay, that's the military, that's the way it is and it needs yeah. to be that way i'm not going to take anything from it but i went to my squad leader and um i uh, i said hey i'd like to i would like to try for uh the scout sniper platoon or the state platoon and man he looked at me and he was just like bitch you think you know you think you got what it takes i'm gonna freaking murder you forever and 
um, that was pretty much my life. Like he would not, like I was not permitted to go take that selection on the first cycle. So they were, they basically told me a lie and said, you know, you needed to do a combat or not a combat deployment, but a, a, a deployment first. And I will say that, you know, I remember being super pissed off about it and super disappointed, but at the same time I was like, well, I'm not like, I'm not planning on going anywhere. So whatever it is, what it is, I wanted it bad enough that I was like, okay, well, if this is the path then this is the path. So I, uh, I, I sucked it up and did it and, um, did that first training deployment and i want to say that it is very beneficial it's very beneficial for me as a sniper later on because i learned how the infantry worked I, and that's another thing that a lot of guys don't understand is that snipers are infantrymen first and that's like a lot of guys a lot of young guys don't want to hear that because they want to they want to grab onto that you know i'm somebody special Yes, you have a specialized skill, but you are an infantryman first. And as such, snipers support the infantry. You need to understand how the infantry works in order to support it. And so me learning how the infantry worked was beneficial in the long run because I think it allowed me to have a, a more in-depth understanding than uh, somebody that just came to a state platoon um, straight out of infantry school. And that's not a knock to anybody. I don't want to say that because I know a lot of guys like yourself, man, you're a stay baby, but you are extraordinarily proficient at your job. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to put this blanket statement out there and say that stay babies are, you know, at a disadvantage. Um, but I will say that being an infantry Marine first, you are definitely at an advantage. Um, just because you understand how it works. Like you understand, like I've done range 400 as an infantryman and I understand how an attack is supposed to function. So therefore I can support it better, um, in the support role because I can see things from now, you know, like the, the 10,000 foot view. Like I can, I, I, I know what's, I, I understand what the main element is. I understand what the support by fire positions are supposed to do. I understand what all of the other supporting assets are doing. And so that in terms of being a sniper makes you more effective. And so I did that. I went on a Western Pacific deployment and um, learned a lot, came back from that deployment. And immediately after post-deployment leave, uh, I took the selection into uh, Second Battalion uh, State Platoon. And um, that was that. So um, when you got back from your deployment, I'm assuming... This is like 99. Uh, yeah. How long, how long was your, your workup was, uh, about a year or was it? Um, yeah, it was like, let's see, I got there. I got to my infantry unit in February of 1998 and then like January, February. Yeah, it was exactly a year. Like I, I, I took selection in like February or February or March of, um, 1999. Okay. And that pipeline was how, how how long was your screen or your in would you guys call it in doc? Yeah, we call it an in doc. Five days. Nice. Five days. It was good, man. It was it was good. It was one of those things where um you know I knew it was gonna be I knew it was gonna suck, but um you know it understanding it now. 
yeah something that you already uh, had already mentally prepared for so again for sure. it wasn't a culture shock of like oh man snipers go through this crap like f this you know what i mean yeah exactly again a lot a lot of a lot of guys join the cyber community or join the marine corps because their goal is to be snipers right they've had it since they were a little kid until they actually get to the screener and then realize yep. holy crap whoa like, this, this sucks not, yeah this is not who i am and and i'll tell you like my one of my favorite things as a chief scout and 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 when I started running my own screeners, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, my goal wasn't to break, uh, you know, infantrymen, but it, at the same time, it kind of was, right? Because yeah. it's like, you know, you're a big bad O3, but you know, this is a whole different world that you're 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 um, stepping into, and it's not for everyone, you know. Yeah, I I want I that screener that selection or that indoc whatever it is that you want to call it needs to be formulated to identify who really wants it yep and and that's another thing that i get another thing another topic for a podcast later on is like what does it really mean to be a volunteer uh and i deal with that a lot i deal with that a lot with swat cops with swat cop snipers that um you know i don't think they truly understand what it means to be a volunteer uh regarding like your personal commitment to being a volunteer in that role but and that's and, and that's what a selection should be the selection itself should be something so difficult that the only people that are going to survive it are the people that want to be there that's it period plain and simple i'm not trying to teach you anything and that's the other, that's where a lot of guys in selections try like they they kind of screw it up in that sense it's like i'm not here this is not a learning environment this is an environment of suffering and i need to orchestrate this environment of suffering as such to make sure that the people that i'm teaching when it's all said and done are willing to learn yeah oh, man yeah, like you said it the, i think the term volunteer and and you know the mindset that's uh, that's a podcast or two in itself oh yeah <laughs> yeah so i you know you and i can talk obviously hours about that uh oh for sure perspective because because again you know one thing that um that really i want to to make sure people understand you know, it's like, you know, you and you and I weren't just, you know, your typical uh, snipers that you know, did four years and got out. Like we eventually evolved into being instructors um, and stuff like that. So we seen really the the um, ends of both sides of this, the spectrum of now selecting those that are essentially who we're going to pass the torch to. You know what I mean? Yep. And, you know, as much as, you know, we want to say that there's, you know, people out there willing to uh put on our boots and do what we do it's like there's there's not much out there you know and so i always praise the, the people that are capable of you know putting on our boots and stuff like that to get, pass on the torch uh, because it's a tough job you know it's a, it's a job that uh it's it's not fun you know people think that if, if sniping is really fun it's absolutely not <laughs> like no it's it's, you know, uh, when you, it's when you suffering. actually feel back yeah when you peel back the layers like it's a pretty boring job um, and that's, but you know i would 
I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, yeah, that's, so that's why that's why our motto is is, you know, suffer patiently and patiently suffer. Patiently suffer. Yep. You're, that's your life, man, and that's and that's the thing that you, um, yeah, that's the thing that uh, you need to grasp and understand is that you're you're volunteering for a life of suffering. So, um, yeah, I I. Uh, I was really fortunate in the sense that I was um, I was a Marine in the first Marine Regiment, um, which is a MUSOC regiment. And for those of you guys who don't understand what that is, a MUSOC regiment is um, a Marines. Uh, the MUSOC is a Marine Expeditionary Unit, special operations capable. So what that means basically, it's like it sounds super special, but it's like look, it's a it's a forward deployed unit that is on board ships that um, floats around. And for us, it was Western Pacific. We do a Western Pacific float. And so we were tasked with things with missions like, you know, embassy stuff, like what's going on right now overseas in Baghdad. Um, those are Marines that are being deployed from a MUSOC unit. Um, you, then there's another unit that is called a UDP unit which goes to Okinawa, Japan, and they just hang out on the island for three months, and then they do three-month overseas deployments, like they get on a ship. The benefit about being in a MUSOC regiment is that as a sniper, you get so much more training opportunity. At least we did in that time period when I was there. Um, we got schools like Urban Sniper, Urban Reconnaissance and Surveillance, um, we did a lot of, uh, we did a lot of training exercises that other, um, non-USOC units don't get an opportunity to do. And so like, man, my pipeline was, it was fast. Like I got through, I got through my screener. Um, I went to, at the time it was first Marine regimental scout sniper school, which would be the equivalent of like a pre-sniper course. But at that time, if you didn't graduate regiment, you did not get a school slot from first Marines, period, end of friggin' story. And the reason that they did that is sniper school is severe in the sense of attrition. And the regimental sniper school is six weeks long. And essentially what that was is um, you had a contingent of staff that was rotating from they would rotate sniper platoons that were just coming back from their deployment and they would be the instructor staff they'd get fapped um, they'd get fat basically it's a temporary assignment to go teach at the regimental sniper school which essentially was like looking back on it the, the literally the worst six months six weeks of my life it was absolutely horrible um if there was any i mean if i like it put my screener to shame um uh, I would, my class, like the instructors would forget to feed us. Um, if we were lucky, we'd get a meal a day. Uh, armory times at zero four thirty, and sometimes we wouldn't um, we wouldn't go back to our rooms until like one two o'clock in the morning, only to have to be back at the armory at zero four thirty and taking quizzes at zero five on the material that we learned the day before. And you could get dropped for it. Like you get dropped. And if you got dropped from regimental sniper school, you weren't getting a school seat, period. And you, like they made that shit so severe that I didn't want to go through it again. Um, it was bad. Uh, land navigation exercises every day, um, you know, doing 
two, two four hour a day land navigation exercises. And I can only imagine, I can't even remember what the mileage was that we were covering. And then one at night. And that was for like three weeks, man, three weeks straight. And that's very, you know, it's very similar now to like, you know, the Marsoc selection and, and, uh, an SF selection, obviously that's a, it's on a more grandiose scale, but again, it's, it was there to make sure that the dudes that they were going to select for school seats earned it and we're going to pass because those school seats were coveted. There weren't many of them. And with a 60% attrition rate, you better make sure that the dude you're giving that seat to is going to pass. So that's the way that was. And I truly believe that, that that contributed to a lot of success in terms of graduation rates, especially from the guys at first Marine regiment. Um, so I went through regiment and then, uh, went to sniper school graduated and then i got rolled right into the musoc pipeline so right from there it was urban sniper urban rns um we did a, a uh, an exercise called truex where we were applying all those skills that we learned at urban sniper and urban rns integrating with um uh, the battalion reconnaissance assets and force reconnaissance assets and all of the things that make the musoc work and um i got a lot of amazing training out of that and um, I went on a deployment as a team leader, and uh, we had a freaking rad deployment. We did like a 10-day patrolling package in Hawaii and did, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It was a great deployment, and I learned a tremendous amount. And it was, I came back from that deployment and said, you know what? Um, I had a choice to either go to uh, Force Recon, and that was what uh, a lot of people were a lot of my buddies were trying to force to not force me but like trying to push me to go that route um and i had a choice to either go take this take the indoc for force or go be um, a teacher at urban sniper or be a teacher at the basic course so um i chose to go be a teacher at the basic course and um you know, looking back on it, you know, obviously clarity is, you know, always 2020 looking back on things, but, um, you know, it, uh, that shaped my career and that making the choice to go be an instructor, you know, basically, you know, set me on the trajectory to where I'm at today in, in the year 2020. So, you know, my time teaching at the schoolhouse was, was just beyond fun, um, it was it was a great time. I learned a tremendous amount about um, about how to be a teacher. Uh, well, maybe not necessarily being a teacher because I was pretty young. And something to put into perspective for all the listeners out there, um, you know, I, and this is the case with not just me but many sniper schools. I was 21 years old, responsible for creating Marine Corps Scout snipers. You think about that from a, a perspective nowadays, you know, being 40 years old, you look back and you're just like, holy shit, man. Like, what the hell do you know at 21 years old? Um, you know, you only know what you've been taught, really. Um, and so that was a great experience to learn about myself and how I interacted with the students. And um, I made it a point to uh 
to not be a protector of the badge, so to speak, and to actually teach people things. And that's, um, and I think that's really what, um, me personally, what, what set it apart was, you know, I'm not just here to, I'm not just here to thrash you, uh, for doing something stupid. I'm actually here to teach you and, and, and make you a Marine sniper. And so that's where my energy is going to go. That's where my efforts are going to go. Um, and I mean, obviously that's all, that's also a whole other podcast all in and of itself, but, um, I really thoroughly enjoyed my time at the schoolhouse and, uh, it taught me a lot about, um, about teaching because you got a high volume of students, you know, every, every 90 days you got another, another group coming in, you know, and, um, I started teaching basic skills at first, you know, the first year that I taught there, I taught basic skills cause you're the new guy, you know, you get, uh, all the field skills, range estimation, all that stuff, land nav. And then, uh, I took over the marksmanship program two years into my, my three year tour there. And, um, that's really where it switched on for me was like being able to take over that marksmanship program and make it my own. And, um, that was really what I sunk my teeth into. Um, I learned a tremendous amount about how to, uh, how to make a shooter and how to get a guy. Cause I mean, you think about it. All right. So for all you listeners out there, imagine, imagine having 32, 32 knuckleheads. They're scared shitless. Don't want to get dropped. Um, trying to get a gun zeroed, uh, 32 of them in one day, uh, with a unertal scope, um, that was probably the cat's ass in 1982. And this was 2002. Um, those unertal scopes were giant pieces of shit. Um, I don't really care what anybody says. They're giant pieces of shit and trying to get them to work and trying to get two scopes to function the same was virtually impossible. And it was a nightmare. And in order for you to be successful, you had to have systems put in place in order to uh, communicate that information. And that's where I learned how to develop curriculum. Um, that's where I learned how to, uh, you know, the difference between teaching a student what you want them to know versus what they need to know. Because um, I, I remember when I was getting ready to turn over the program, I. I had, uh, my successor come in and his name was, uh, Owen Mulder and, uh, Owen was one of my students, one of my very first students. And he came in and he's very, very science based and, um, which is awesome. That's, that's great because Owen's actually now he's a physicist and we've done a lot of work together working on external ballistics and, and the science of external ballistics. And he's an incredibly smart individual. But he came in and he's just like, oh, I'm going to teach him. I'm going to teach these guys like the constant of what the mill relations formula came from. And, and I'm going to teach him where BCs came from and, and all this stuff. And I remember having to kind of pull him aside and say, look, man, there might be two kids in this entire class that give a frog's fat ass about where the constant of the mill relation formula fucking comes from. And although you want to teach him that, that is not going to help them become a sniper. That's continuing education. That's follow on education. And you know, he's resistant to that at first, but now looking back, we have our conversations. It's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, that was right. And, um, that was the point in which I was like, look, man, I only have a limited time 
available to me to, to get these guys to qualify. Um, and I took that to heart. And so I wanted my students to pass. I wanted them to, I wasn't going to slouch standards by any stretch. Don't get me wrong. But I also, um, I never had the mindset of, you know, you're either going to get it or you don't. At least I tried not to. You, you hit on a lot of interesting uh, things there, um, starting with your decision to become a sniper instructor over going to uh, Forest Recon, you know, um, and, and that really is a testament to who you are, you know, I believe, Kalen, in, in which, you know, your uh, ability to want to give back to the community, um, I mean, over your own individual interests, right, of pursuing the, the route of Forge Recon. Because, you know, from my understanding back then, it was a little easier transition um, versus when I was in uh, to, to go to the recon pipeline and Forge Recon. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome to hear that, you know, even at 21 years old, you know, you made a cognizant, you know, conscious decision like, hey, you know, I want to get back to my community. I want to uh, help shape and mentor the future, um, you know, again, uh, Marine Corps Scout Snipers again at 21 years old because when we are, you know, again, 21, 22-year-old sergeants on the battlefield, we are advising, you know, 35, 40-year-old colonels, right, mm -hmm. um, on um, uh, on battle space, right, and, and uh you know, kind of in their ear about, hey, this is what I think, you know, um, we should do as far as uh, employment and stuff like that. So, sure, it's a lot of times, you know, I, and I think it just stems from Hollywood, right? You, you see this sniper on, in like he's this like old crusty like master gun, like sniper. In, in general, right. I think uh, mm -hmm. Tom Berenger, he's like a, a, a gunny or a master guns is like, no homeboy. It's like a corporal or a sergeant <laughs> that is like either his first three years, like, you know, that's like uh, expedited. I yeah. mean, look at Ethan Place. He was a corporal at the time when he received yeah. his silver star. And, you know, Ethan um, was one of my students, too. Right. And, and yeah. I mean, Ethan couldn't have been as old as I'm not sure how old he is now, but 21, 22 when, when he did what he did. Right. So. Yeah. I think it's 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 crazy to see now that I'm 31, 32, how much uh, responsibility is placed on your shoulders at such a uh, at a very young age, and and that's just the military in general. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um. So so after you, you know you're at time at cyber school, um, where did you go to next? So I came, I was getting close to the end of, well, first off, like, you know, the invasion of Iraq kicked off in um, 2003. And it, it was really, really difficult because we were in a very, very unknown time uh, in terms of what our future was going to hold. Um, literally, everybody was going to war. And, you know, the seven of us on the staff at Scout Sniper School and Advanced Infantry Training Company were just kind of like left without a job because there was nobody there to train. Um, so we started training the inactive ready reserves that they were recalling um, for combat casualty replacements. And um, that was an interesting little couple months segment of life because basically uh, 
advanced infantry training company came to me and said, well, you're an 0351, so uh, you're going to go start training 0351s again. And I started laughing. I was like, dude, I haven't touched a SMA in like years. I don't even know what that thing is anymore. I just know, to, you know, like I, I, I understand the concepts, but um, it, when everybody started, everything kind of came a little bit back to normal in the sense of um, units started to come back and we started to train again. Um, and third battalion first Marines was getting, was getting ready to go on their first deployment to operation Iraqi freedom two. And that, uh, that platoon commander came to, came to me and, uh, gunnery sergeant Lance Healy, we were both getting ready to rotate. And, um, my, what I was trying to do was go to, was go again, take the force recon selection. I was planning on taking the force recon selection. Um, but then, you know, that whole, Hey, everybody's going to combat. I need to go do a combat deployment. Like I need to go do a combat deployment as a sniper. Um, not only for, you know, my, myself, my personal, like, I need to know, I need to know what it's like to do this job for real. This is, uh, this is very important to me. And, you know, um, I've been training for this for a very, very long time. And, uh, it's really, it was really difficult to watch, you know, it was difficult. I shouldn't say for me, but for my ego to watch students that we had trained go to combat and then come back as, you know, seasoned, seasoned Marine snipers, uh, combat experienced Marine snipers. And I wanted a piece of that. And there's nobody, there's nobody else out there, uh, that I know of that wouldn't want a piece of that. And so, um, I was solicited by, uh, at the time he was Lieutenant, he was, his name's Jason Milbrandt. He said, Hey, I need a chief sniper for this platoon. Um, Lance Healy is going to take over the platoon sergeant role and I need a chief sniper and I want you to fill that, that role. Um, and so I went to that battalion and, uh, lo and behold, the battalion sergeant major just so happened to be, um, the same guy his name was uh, sergeant major Sachs, ed Sachs. he was my first sergeant at 2-1 second battalion and so i went i went to sergeant major Sachs and said hey i would like to i would like to come to your battalion but at the end of this deployment when we come back from iraq i want to go take the force recon selection are you going to let me do that and, you know, it's pretty funny because I, I hope Sergeant Major Sachs listens to this because he always wanted me to go be a drill instructor, which was never going to fucking happen. Um, but he was always like, be bill at this, be bill at that. And I remember him giving me the look. He kind of rolled his eyes and looked at me out of the corner of his eyes. And he was just like, of course you fucking want to go. You wanted to go three years ago. So, uh, we kind of worked a little bit of a drug deal and he said that I would talk to the monitor and I would allow you to, um, to come to the battalion for one pump, which is very unusual, right? You know that like it's unusual because that battalion, they're going to get their pound of flesh out of you. So I volunteered and I said, okay, man, I'm coming over. And, um, I left sniper school and took over the position as a chief scout at three one. Um, that was like March of 2003. And then, uh, I, we got, we went boots on the ground in Iraq, June 12th of 2004. And, uh, holy shit, everything for me as a sniper at that point in time changed. Um, 
as soon as the as soon as the reality of combat hit um everything changed we were not prepared we were not well trained um looking back on it and we did not have any understanding of how effective or ineffective our current doctrine was in those situations fighting an insurgency um it was very interesting because we had to adapt we had to uh you know, a lot of people ask me, they're like, hey, what was that deployment like? What was it all about? And I look at them and I say, it was a seven-month-long hunting trip with um, with all of the emotional ups and downs that come with a hunting trip. And that's really the truth. And that's really what combat's all about. The, the majority of the time in combat, you're not doing anything. You're sitting there doing nothing and um, waiting for something to happen. And then you get this massive flurry of activity, um, massive, you know, uh, at combat itself is something that is uh, very difficult to explain and to put into words. And again, that's like not within the scope of this podcast, but it taught me so much about what it really means to be a rifleman in combat. And, and, that, and that truly is like, that's where modern day sniper that's the genesis of modern day sniper right there is that moment of time where i looked at at myself in the mirror and said holy shit i don't know what i need to know and i need to fucking fix it you know what i'm saying like you you need to fix it and you need to understand that um you know, the good idea fairy is floating around all over the place, sprinkling fairy dust and all this crazy shit. But when it actually, when the rubber meets the road and you realize that, yeah, that stuff's not going to work, um, you have to adapt and you really have to quickly change. And, uh, that's what that deployment taught me. And, um, subsequently the end of that deployment, um, we participated in operation phantom fury, which was, uh, the, uh, the major assault on Fallujah. And so Ethan Place, the guy we've been talking about, um, 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines, was in theater um, on the – they were in theater. We came in theater on the tail end of their their deployment. And so they participated in a smaller-scale assault on the northwestern portion of Fallujah in April as a response to uh, the three uh, contractors that were murdered by the – by the Iraqi insurgency inside the city of Fallujah. So that was a major battle for them in terms of um, infantry, straight up infantry stuff in an urban environment. And so we got a chance to sit um, and spend a day with the sniper teams, um, team leader to team leader. We sent all of our team leaders over to Camp Fallujah to chat with um, with the team leaders of second battalion guys who who happened to Ethan was one of those dudes. And we just sat there for a day and got data dumps on, on everything, TTPs, everything. Um, and it was a major, major help because within two months we were knee deep in it. Um, and so, uh, November 9th, Phantom Fury kicked off and, um, it was, it was pretty intense. It was, uh, it was very, very intense. And that actually, that battle was, I was wounded in, in, uh, at the end of the very first day of that, that fight. Um, I had, uh, I, 
had received a, a wound from a piece of shrapnel. Um, um, a BM-21 rocket landed in the street next to me about 20 feet away and uh, sent a piece of frag through my right kneecap and pretty much blew my right knee all over the wall and opened it up like a, you know, like a fillet. And that ended my career. Um, a lot of people would look at me now and be like, well, that's kind of weird. Um, cause you climb mountains and jump out of airplanes and you know, you're, you PT all the time and whatever. But at the time, the prognosis was extraordinarily, um, bad. Like the doctors didn't know what, the, what to do. And so they put it back together as best they could and said, Hey man, you're unfit for service. We're going to put you on a physical evaluation board and, um, see you later. Thanks for your service. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I, I can't speak on behalf of what uh, naval medicine was back then, I mean, but look at, I mean, evolve 15 years from now, from then, like you got uh, double amputees that are climbing yep. Mount Everest and, and, and stuff like that. So really, we've evolved as a, you know, naval medicine has evolved to where, you know, even uh, amputees are doing some pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Um, yeah, it was in really filled. Uh, I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't, I don't think back then, uh, if, if you were injured to that extent, um, I'm not sure I, I had, didn't hear of any amputees that were going back into combat, um, until like sure. maybe post 2010. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, because Jason Pacheco did that, who's also a sniper, mm -hmm. uh, who I served with as a, a sniper instructor. He lost his leg, and uh, I think he was one of the first amputees to go back into combat after losing his leg. Yeah, yeah, it was just a, it was a strange time, man. You know, like um, I remember, I remember coming back to the to the Camp Pendleton Naval Hospital, and there were six dudes in a room that was only supposed to hold two. Like it was major. Um, they didn't know, and these were all these are all casualties coming from the Battle of Fallujah, and uh, um, we weren't. You know, those the the medical system was not really well equipped to deal with uh, a lot of blast trauma, um, a lot of blast trauma from IEDs. Um, you know, obviously you got gunshot wounds mixed in there, but more more blast trauma and. And those, those doctors, you know, trauma docs are learning as they go because trauma is not usual, right? It's your not, it's not your normal thing. And, um, you know, it was just, uh, it was, it was just, uh, I guess I wouldn't even call, I'm not a victim cause that's a shitty word to use, but it was just, Hey, I was a product of that particular time frame in terms of medical proficiency. And, um, they just, they said, Hey man, this is it. And the doc looked at me and he said, Hey, you're going to be just glad to be able to walk again. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, sweet. Sounds good. Um, so that happened and I got out of the Marine Corps in 2005, my twilight tour. However, I spent a year teaching at, um, uh, first SOTG special operations training group, uh, at the urban sniper course. Uh, and, and urban I, did, I did not know that. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah. No, no. Um, yeah, so I taught it at first first SOTG for uh, the last year. Um, it was probably just maybe just under a year, and man, I had such a blast working at that schoolhouse. Um, I was working with a lot of my good friends. Um, 
you know, uh, Sotheby, Mendenhall, uh, Mo Powell, like some greats, some big greats in the reconnaissance and sniper community. Um, Chad Chalky, uh, Larry O'Connor, just really good dudes, like good people. And, um, and I was able to, uh, I was able to have one last hurrah in terms of what, it, what it really meant to be, um, uh, part of another close knit group of instructor staff. Um, and, uh, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was a really great way to end my career. Let's put it that way. Um, and it was hard, man. It was like, I look back on it and, um, like I, I remember I left the uh, September 15th was my last day on Camp Pendleton, packed up all my shit and headed up here to Washington. And dude, when I drove out the gate, I remember I sobbed like a baby for like probably until fucking Sacramento, <laughs> you know, it was a human, it was a tremendous loss. And I didn't understand the magnitude of that loss until just now, you know, until, you know, later on in life where, um, uh, I, I didn't really truly understand the magnitude of that, um, which is kind of like why modern day sniper is like, I'm so passionate about it because, um, I wanted to be able to, to be something where people can go for resources, right? Just kind of the stuff we're talking about right now. So I came up here to Washington state and, um, I worked for a family business here and picked up a, uh, a job working in my stepdad's um, business as a steel fabricator, and I remember in my uh, uh, in my drug-induced stupor, because that's really all that that they were doing for us at that point in time was giving us a whole shitload of narcotic pain meds, uh, mainly because they didn't understand any other way. And so um, I remember sitting on the couch, and it was the time period of like Jesse James, um, Monster Garage, and all those you know fabrication shows. And so I started. That's all I could do really is sit on the couch and um, and recover. So I was watching these shows, and I remember my stepdad was sitting on the couch watching. Um, they were taking a school bus and turn it into some crazy shit on Monster Garage, and I was like, man, that's super cool. Like. The, the fact that those dudes are talented enough to be able to make that shit happen in two days. And he kind of chuckled and he's just like, Hey, we do all that stuff in our shop just on a different level, different way. And he goes, uh, you want to learn how to weld? And I was like, yeah, man, I want to learn how to weld. That sounds rad. He's like, I'll teach you how to weld. And they offered me a job up here in Yakima, Washington. And, and I took it. So, um, I came up here and started to work for the family business as a steel fabricator, thinking that I was going to start a new life and um, put that life behind me. And uh, there was a lot of pain for the first couple years. Uh, it was it was not an easy transition, and I didn't understand what I was going through. I had no concept. I did not understand it. I didn't have the tools um, to understand it. And so I, pro I was not a very nice person um, because I was going through a massive amount of grief and I didn't understand that I was going through a massive amount of grief. Um, so I went back to hunting again, um, which I was super grateful for. Uh, picked up mountain hunting here with, uh, with some people, um, namely uh, Luke Carrick, the guy that, um, that I teach the backcountry hunter course with huge mentor for me and uh in that realm and he's now my hunting partner uh and um i started to teach 
I started to teach precision shooting for some security companies, uh, you know, DDM programs. Uh, I taught a couple classes here and there for some people locally. Um, you know, Matt actually, a lot of, a lot of people don't know, like Matt Medeiros, um, Matt Medeiros is, we actually work together in the steel shop and Matt taught me how to weld and I taught Matt how to shoot. <laughs> so that's how that went down. That's a good, that's a, that's a good um, trade right there. Yeah, man, it's a really good trade. And, and I mean, Matt is um, a phenomenal steel fabricator and uh, the amount of knowledge that I was able to gather from him was fantastic. And, you know, um, we kind of, he found out that I was a shooter and we started to go out to the range here and there. And then he actually came out to my very first um, uh, Central Cascade Precision class. I started a really small company called Central Cascade Precision and started to teach people how to shoot in like 2008. And then uh, that eventually led to um, me working for Magpul. And uh, yeah, that's that's how that went down. I started working for Magpul and um, I started to communicate with the guys from Magpul, uh, Travis Haley and Chris Costa. I found out that they were looking to start a precision rifle training division. And I heard about that through my late friend, um, who's also a former sniper. Um, actually, we just passed the anniversary of his death a couple of days ago, Billy Shepperson. Um, he was one of my team leaders in Iraq and, uh, Billy started a company called Long Range International, and he asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And I was like, look, man, I can't do it because you're in Wyoming and I'm here in Washington and I've got, you know, I'm a foreman in a shop like I have responsibilities. Um, but then he decided that he wanted to go be a security contractor. And then I and then I later decided I wanted to start my own company. And I called him and I said, hey, man, um, can I get those contacts from Magpul for you from you? And, and he was like, yeah, man, here you go. So he gave me uh, he gave me the numbers and started making some phone calls. And uh, they sent a representative out to vet my training curriculum. And that led to me being hired on at Magpul in uh, 2010. It's it's crazy, you know, to, to see that, you know, eventually you kind of found your way outside of the community and then came back in you know what i mean yeah. um and it, it just shows you you know how much as if you want it bad enough like there's opportunity out there right um i think a lot of times you know guys uh from our of our community you know they have a hard time figuring out what they want to do when they get out um and, and it's fine, you know, some guys go to college and whatever, or they, you know, jo they join the law enforcement, but it's like, you know, the, the opportunity is there if you want to take it, you know what I mean? You just yeah. have to be proactive and, and searching for it, right? Um, and honestly, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, you, you talk a lot about uh, mentorship and, uh, you know, one thing that I definitely uh, look up to you for in that in that manner is you know uh, mentoring me along the way, especially now that I've transitioned outside the Marine Corps. Uh, so I definitely appreciate you know that uh, from you. I mean, since day one, again, I can't thank you enough for you know landing me the job that I'm doing now. Um, uh, but you know, I think it's it's nice to know that there are people in the industry that that care right that that mm -hmm. still hold on to the values that you and i 
uh, old and that aren't just you know oh it's just business you know what i mean because that's that's kind of what i'm starting to see now in in, in the uh in the um civilian sector of the um rifle industry or the you know um uh, gun industry is that you know it's pretty cutthroat um, it is it's um and that was one of my biggest struggles man that really was my my most significant struggle was transitioning from um being in uh, the company of an all-volunteer organization and you know obviously we always have our 10 percent right some of it's less than 10 percent, some of it's more than 10 percent. but you know it's like that that um that magic number that everybody says ah you're just part of the 10 percent. when i came into the civilian world I quickly, the first thing that I noticed was integrity. Integrity in our world is extraordinarily important because if I don't fucking trust you to tell me the information that I need to know, that can cause people to lose their life, period, plain and simple. That is powerful with regard to um, the passion that you put into doing your job. Does that make sense? So like, when I came into the civilian world, I, I came across some people that showed me immediately that they had no integrity and they would straight up lie to my face. And I was just like, in, in our world, you just go away. Like you get dropped, you go away. And chances are, if you got dropped for an integrity violation uh, at sniper school, you were going to get booted out of that platoon too, because they couldn't fucking trust you either. Um, so it's it was really difficult for me to process that information when somebody just looked at me and said hey man that's just the way it is you got to deal with it and like even to this day like i don't tolerate it i refuse to tolerate it um there are certain things that i just won't tolerate and if you lie to me i'm not tolerating it and it's just that simple but there are the majority of people out there do not see that's a way of business that's the way to get things done and that's really shitty, but that was a really significant portion of my difficulty in transitioning. So me seeing you, you know, coming out of the Marine Corps, like that, again, that's part of what modern day sniper is. It's, it's trying to give back to a community that gave me so much and to, and to say, you know, Hey, over here, these are the values that you can expect over here this is this these are the values that you can expect to see and 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 maintain um and if i could help you and give you the guidance that i didn't have absolutely that's part of you know i look back at um you know like i don't know what the hell i'd be doing if i wasn't mentored by bill joseph i don't know what i'd be doing chances are i might be sitting on the same bar stool that that everybody else is sitting on you know 25 years later i don't know and that's definitely plays a big factor in your future and your trajectory. So mentorship is really important to me. And, and it's, uh, it's, and I think that's part of, um, you know, you figure out, you're trying to, you always try to figure out your, your big, why, like, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Why am I here? And it's not an easy, it's not an easy question to answer. Um, and it takes a long, long, long time. Uh, my wife, I think it's, I think it's, oh, sorry. I, I think it's important too to, to, 
you know, put in perspective that the mentee also has to meet you halfway, right? Sure. And, you know, I, I would say that when my time in the Marine Corps, I, I try to do the best I can mentor, shape, you know, not only the guys in my platoon or when I was in the team, uh, but now my time as an instructor, but sometimes, you know, the, the energy that I would give wasn't met. Um, and, you know, when, you know, when I saw that, it was just like, okay, well, um, I'm no longer going to waste my energy on you because you, you, you're not meeting me uh, halfway. Sure. Right? Uh, because I, you know, I've, I've and you know, it's not necessarily to say that, um, you know, I gave up on them. It's like, you are taking, uh, away, uh, the energy that I would want to put into others. Right. Um, that, you know, and, and I don't know if that's a, a leadership failure or it's like, it's like, well, you're just, you know, like you're just being stuck in your way. It's like, well, no, cause other people got it right. Other, my other students yep. got it cause they would meet me halfway at their energy levels and stuff like that. And it made it a, a joy to come work. And then you just got those guys that are just like, nope. You know what I mean? It's like, yep. okay, well I can't help you anymore if you can't help yourself. Right. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, <laughs> it's. And, and that even, you know, that was further reinforced with, you know, later on in um, uh, even after, you know, being at being at Magpul, like I would see things. I was seeing things from people um, that were just I was like, none of this is cool. Like none of this is cool. And I started to quickly realize that. Um, that you know just because you have a specific or a certain title of let's just say a marine for example that does not mean you are a good person and i think that's something that gets lost in this veteran culture now um that everybody you know americans assume that oh that dude's a veteran he's he's a solid dude and it's just like uh no <laughs> it's not that way uh, we can't ever take any of that stuff for granted because at the core of it, you're still a human being. You still have a personality. You still have the things that make you tick. Um, the military is just a chapter in your life. So, you know, and that was, that was a big, that that's a big thing for me. And, um, uh, yeah, probably a conversation for another time. But, you know, again, that's that's really what led me to be on the path that I'm on today of, you know, you know, step, stepping out and doing and doing my own thing, because, <clears throat> you know, I, then I want to be able to uh, march to the beat of my own drum, so to speak, because um, uh, there are certain values, there are certain um, there are certain parts of me as a person that uh, are far more important. So I would rather um, let's just let's just put it this way. I don't play the game of Survivor. I uh, I don't play the game of Survivor, and I'm not I'm not willing to play it. And period. End of story. Like and that has the same mentality that we all had in those organizations. Like there was no game of survivor happening in those organizations. Um, it was straight up, man. Hey, this is your job and this is what you do. And we're all going to work together to achieve a common goal. Um, and, uh, that's, that's the way that I want to live my life pretty much. So that's why I'm here. That's what I'm doing. Let's talk the transition from um, 
Kalinsky. Oh, let's talk the transition from Macpool to Kalinsky, and then Kalinsky to now uh, modern day sniper. Sure. Uh, I guess you know, kind of the, how how that evolved. Yeah, it was. Um, so you know, uh, my my time at Magpul, I'm very very grateful for it. Um, I I learned a tremendous amount about. Um, about the firearms industry. I learned a tremendous amount about manufacturing. I learned a tremendous amount about um, what it takes to um, to bring an idea to fruition. Uh, ideas are the easy part. Uh, the execution is the difficult part. And I learned a lot about that from Magpul. Um, and uh, I built some really good relationships there. Like some of my, some of my very, very best friends come from, you know, my time there regarding uh, the people that I met and the people that I interacted with. Um, as I neared the end of that that chapter in my life, it just got to a point where I'm like, you know what? there's definitely this is a time for a change. and um, some things were some things were occurring that you know weren't really falling in line with my set of values. So I said, okay, it's time to go. Um, and that transition was was quick. Um, so I needed something I needed to, I needed to formulate a, a, a company to do business under. And I really didn't want that company to be like everything else. You know, everybody's, everybody in, in our industry has, you know, they use a lot of buzzwords in their names and in their company names. And I didn't want to do that. But at the same time, I was still learning about what it took to build a brand and what a brand really was and 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 um, what that meant. And I really just didn't know what I didn't know. So I came up with uh, Kalinsky Consulting and Training Services, and um, I wanted it to have a level of ambiguity um, that that would not be your typical cookie cutter tactical this or Molan Labe that or, you know, whatever. Um, because our industry is just so flooded with that stuff right now. It's just like, I wanted something different. And, and I didn't realize that I was kind of shooting myself in the foot because nobody really knew what the flying shit that was. It was a name that was given to me when I was a kid as a nickname. And, um, that's what I, that's what I, I came up with. And it was really, it was off the cuff. It was just like, Oh shit, I need to do something. So let's just do this. And as I continued to go forward, I realized that, um, uh, part of being a sniper is not my identity. It is definitely what shaped me into the person that I am today. And so in, in thinking about like looking at the, the current situation that we see in the precision rifle community, um, it is progressing so fast and so rapid that, um, you know, people are losing track of where they came from. And that's, and that's really like the genesis again of modern day sniper was, um, I knew that I needed to rebrand Kalinsky. My wife is really, really awesome at branding. She's really amazing at, um, at understanding how that structure is working and how it works and how to extract that creativity out of, out of me. And I, I used to think that I wasn't very creative, um, until, uh, Cassandra helped me like unlock that part of potential inside of me. And we we and with you talking about in our in our conversations about where things were and our values 
you know, we, we came up with modern day sniper. And I remember, I remember when we, when we, we were like, yep, that's it done. And, um, and that's how we, and that's how we came up with the rebrand from Kalinsky to modern day sniper. Yeah, uh, I'm going to touch on what you said about, um, being a sniper doesn't, um, like define you. Or... <laughs> how did you say it? Being a sniper it is it, it doesn't define me as as who yeah. I am as a person, but it yes, yeah. No, go ahead, keep going. But it doesn't define made, me as a as a person. Like I don't, you know, I don't wake up every day and and put my feet on the on the floor and be like I'm a fucking sniper. Like no, that's yeah. not that's no. not no. Yeah, and I'm glad you you say that. You know, it's okay. it's interesting kind of to to see your path, um, because again we talk about myself in the next podcast i mean it's it's completely different of of you wanting you knowing you when you joined the marine corps you wanted to be a sniper and then fulfilling that that role and then you know post marine corps continuing on that path not really continuing but you know taking an intermittent pause and then finding yourself back on track to again um find your purpose uh or a, you know, as a your wife likes to uh, call it dharma um, yeah. which is awesome Cass is awesome. I mean, she's she's on a whole nother level. I enjoy my time with her because, I mean, she's her energy is is literally out, outside of this world. And if only there were more people like Cass on this earth, it'd be a better place. Um, but uh, no, it's 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 cool, and and I'm definitely excited to uh, uh, be on this journey with you. And again, I, I appreciate you uh, bringing me along uh, for the ride. So. Well, man, it's um, I'm I'm super excited for everything that the future is going to bring, um, and a lot of this is a lot of this is just mindset. A lot of this is focus, and um, and staying true to who we are, and that's and that's uh, again that's part of the values of modern day sniper, and um, you know it's. Uh, I know everybody's listening and be like, oh man, what are you guys going to do? What are you going to do? Um, it's, it's coming it, and it's going to, it's, it's going to come, but it's, it's going to be a little drip here, a little drip there. Uh, but uh, this year, 2020 is going to be, um, it's a, it's going to be an exciting thing. So um, for everybody that is listening, um, keep listening. And uh, we are going to make our absolute best effort on this podcast to do it um, as often as we possibly can. Um, obviously, both both of our schedules are are super uh, super busy, but um, these are great. These are conversations that that I, I mean, I love having these conversations with you, Phil, because um, it allows us to. Uh, and I don't want the, I don't want anybody to think that this is just going to be like this big reminiscing, uh, talking about the days of old stuff. Um, we're talking about where we came from just to give you guys a context, our listeners, a context of, of who we are and what our values are. Um, you know, like, uh, we kind of talked about it in the very, in the first episode, like, I'm not going to sit here and tell war stories unless it's, unless it's directly applicable to something that, that we're trying to communicate. So, you know, this is not just a, this is not just an avenue or an outlet for us to reminisce. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, I, um, we, we talked about it 
it's going to hopefully shape into an outlet uh, for upcoming, you know, snipers, whether they're getting ready to do selection, whether they're getting ready to uh, go to sniper school, um, you know, or they're trying to figure out or try to navigate the, the waters of being in a sniper uh, platoon inside of a battalion, you know, uh, it's, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that um, as well. Um, and, and again, you know, if you uh, listen to the podcast and if it relates to you on, again, on a um, level in, in terms of mentorship and, and leadership, you know, that's what this podcast is about. Obviously, you know, stemming from our roots as, a, as scout snipers. Um, but yeah, you know, and eventually we're going to have, uh, Kayla and I would like to have uh, other uh, people on here. Um, current active duty snipers uh, instructors or even former guys that uh, we served with um, you know I, you know talk about what they're up to nowadays um, Cody uh, who's awesome uh, yeah ready yours Kalen um, I'd, I'd like I'd love to have him on here talk about some okay. stuff so. yeah we're gonna have a pretty solid lineup for you guys um, so and our next one phil gets to sit in the hot seat and we get to talk about where phil came from and uh you know what uh what's making him tick so i'm i'm looking forward to uh i'm looking forward to hearing your story too buddy yeah man so no this was awesome uh i hope uh everyone got a lot out of it i hope uh everyone kind of uh you know uh, knows who kaylin modric is now um and uh you know how uh, he's continuing to uh, fulfill his purpose as uh, not only as a, a sniper in, in a in a um, very uh, prominent figure in this community, but really, you know, really a solid mentor. So, right on, man. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening, and um, we will see you again shortly. Yep. Keep your face on the gun, guys. We'll see you. <laughs>